This morning's reading is from Luke 23, starting at verse 44, which you'll find at the bottom of page 1065. Luke 23, verse 44, and we're starting back at the cross. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now, there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath day they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marvelling at what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Pip, thanks for reading so well for us. Please do make sure you've got sight um, of that reading we've just had, page 1065. 
And uh, let me lead us again in prayer as we begin. Father God, we thank you for your word. Thank you uh, that Jesus uh, is alive. Thank you that your word proclaims this glorious truth. Please convince us this morning uh, from your word that we might know Jesus uh, and find life in him. Amen. How can you believe what you read? Or how can we believe what we see anymore? In an age of deep fakes and chatbots, it's getting harder and harder. Uh, anyone else see that picture of uh, the Pope in a coat? Uh, Pope in a coat, some of you are nodding. If not, you can look it up later. Don't look it up now. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, all over the internet was a photo of Pope Francis in a sleek white puffer coat, uh, sporting a giant cross on the front. It looks quite fun. Everyone was commenting on it. And then we discovered it was a fake. It had been generated by artificial intelligence by a program called Midjourney. And now whether or not you believe the Pope wore a white puffer jacket, it doesn't really change anything, does it? And maybe we feel a bit gullible for a day or two. But whether we believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died on the cross and rose bodily from the tomb, it changes everything. Either Jesus was and is God incarnate, the one with all authority, the only one who gets us through death, or he's not. Just a charlatan or a myth, a, a liar, a lunatic or a legend. Uh, my aim this morning is pretty simple. I want to allow Luke, the author of this account we're looking at, I want him to give us complete confidence utter certainty, absolute conviction that Jesus definitely died and really rose. And I want us to see the incredible impact of those truths for each one of us here. So two truths for us to examine. The first comes in chapter 23, verses 44 to 56. You'll see it on the outline if you've got it in front of you. Jesus definitely died as our substitute. Jesus definitely died as our substitute. Now, we've somewhat skipped over a lot of what Luke's already said so far. We're joining at the end of the story, so to speak. He's had a lot of things to say about who Jesus is, what he said, and what he did. But let me just read from the beginning of Luke's account. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to, co to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. Uh, Luke, the author, he wants us to know what he's writing is eyewitness history. He's carefully researched it all. He's, he's sifted the data. He's painstakingly written it all down and got his facts straight. And he's done it all so we can know, so we can be certain it's true. It's historically reliable. Now, the reason I mention this is so we can spot his attention to detail when we look at our passage today. Now, knowing whether an internet meme is true is interesting knowing whether Jesus has definitively defeated death, is eternity changing. So perhaps we notice how Luke gives us details like the timings, verse 44 again. It was now about the sixth hour, 
And there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Uh, we get the account of who was there and what they say. There's the centurion, verse 47. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God saying, certainly this man was innocent. Having just overseen Jesus' crucifixion, he now praises God and declares Jesus innocent. In verse 49, we get all Jesus' acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee standing at a distance watching what's going on. It's not just one or two people seeing what's happening. And then there's Joseph of Arimathea. We get his name, where he's from, his position, even his reputation. Look at verse 50 again. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. You see, it's simply not possible to suggest Jesus just passes out or faints. Now, verse 46. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. The crowds know what they've just seen, don't they? Verse 48, all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. They know he's died. Uh, the women, they know Jesus is dead. It's why they start preparing spices. Verse 54, it was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. Now I hope so far this is pretty uncontroversial. Uh, but for Luke, it's not enough to know that Jesus died. He also wants us to know why Jesus died. And maybe that's where you're at. Uh, you don't have too much of a problem believing Jesus actually died. I mean, it's a fairly regular occurrence, not crucifixion, but death. People die every day. Uh, maybe you're less clear or, or less convinced why he died. And Luke wants us to see Jesus died as our substitute. He died on our behalf for our sins. That's why Jesus' innocence is underlined. It's what the centurion says, isn't it? Jesus dies not because of anything wrong he did. Neither was he in the wrong place at the wrong time. He had every opportunity to get himself out of this. Now he goes to the cross in full control. And it's so we might be spared what he endures. So the darkness, it's not just an eyewitness detail, it is that. But it's also a picture of God's judgment on sin. Sin is what the Bible calls our rebellion against God. It's that natural inclination we all have to put ourselves first. We've all got it, and it's so normal we hardly notice it. But it means we rightly face God's just judgment we enjoy the life he's given us, the world he's put us in, every breath we take, every good thing we enjoy from him. We take and we take 
and we push God to the side, whether apathetically or aggressively. Every single one of us rightly faces God's just judgment, his settled wrath. Sin requires death. But at the cross, Jesus steps in as a substitute. The darkness symbolizing God's judgment falls on him. It's what's going on with the curtain as well. Did you spot that? At the beginning of our reading again. It was and now about the sixth hour. There was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Now again, it's an eyewitness detail. But it's also showing us the way back to God is open. There's no longer any need for a physical temple anymore. Because of the cross, God can dwell with his people by his Holy Spirit. Uh, The cross opens the way to God. Perhaps we assume if there is a God, then although I'm not perfect, I've not done anything too terrible, uh, so when I do meet him, if he exists, then I'll, I'll probably be okay. I'll take my chances, thank you very much. But the Bible says it takes nothing less than Jesus dying in our place to make us acceptable to God. It's quite a shock, isn't it? And it's all highlighted even more for us when we remember all of this is happening at a time called Passover. Uh, The Passover was the time when God's people remembered being rescued out of slavery, out of danger, out of death. A spotless lamb taking the place of a firstborn son. God's anger falling on a substitute. Someone else dying the death that should be yours. It's all the backdrop for why Jesus had to die. He dies, so you and I don't have to face the wrath of God we deserve. He dies so we can be acceptable to God, not because of any merit on our part, but purely because of Jesus. Jesus definitely died, yes. And he dies as a substitute. But the reason we're all gathered here today is because he didn't stay dead. No, Jesus really rose as he said, and that's the second truth we're considering today. Again, you can see it on the outline in front of you. Jesus really rose, as he said. Uh, 13 years ago now, on Easter Saturday it was, my father-in-law died. Uh, He had known for several months he was going to die, and he wrote a little book, uh, this book called On My Way uh, to Heaven. And uh, near the end he says this, My death faces me, Uh, forces me to face the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, No longer is it a a bald fact of history for me. It is of crucial significance for every person who faces their own death honestly. Until I'm dead, I cannot know what will happen to me after my death. But Jesus has already risen. If I know him now, I will know him then. He is my assurance in dying, and his resurrection is central to Christianity. Now, what would convince someone to say these words, even to write these words, as they face their own death? Well, you'd have to be convinced, wouldn't you, that Jesus really rose from the dead. And again, Luke wants us to be certain this is historical fact. It is so reliable, we can bank our eternity on it. Everything about this account holds up. So, uh, verse 1 of chapter 24 But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, 
taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, the women know which tomb it is, don't they? They saw the tomb. They saw where the body was laid. But it was an an empty and unused tomb, wasn't it? There's no confusion over getting the right body. It's not like a a mortuary or a morgue where you have to check the name tags on the toes. Uh, No, they know where they're going. And they know exactly what they're expecting. They're expecting a corpse, aren't they? They've got the spices prepared, ready. It shows it's not made up. The earliest unbelievers were Jesus' first followers. They need to see something to change their minds. Just this last week, I read a newspaper article about how faulty our memory is. It doesn't last even more than a few seconds sometimes. Maybe you read the article too, if you can remember. It says how we, we often accidentally adjust what we see and hear to fit with what we expect. So you see in a, a snapshot a series of numbers out of order and you remember them in order. Or our brains will automatically read mirrored letters, backwards letters, the right way round. And we also retell stories to make ourselves look better, often not even deliberately. We don't know we're doing it. What we don't do the article says, is misremember out of the ordinary things, things we don't expect. And what we don't tend to do is recount stories where we come off badly. Uh, To have real confidence an event actually happened, what you'd need, the scientists say, is to have more than one person, ideally lots of people, all seeing the same thing that none of them were expecting. Uh, To make it even more credible, it would be perfect if if they don't come out of the story very well. Is it not exactly what the Bible says? Uh, We have the named witnesses, verse uh, 10. Over the page, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Uh, A multitude of witnesses all seeing the same thing, all totally unexpected. And in the first century, women aren't the witnesses you'd have chosen. It all rings true. Even the Bible says you have to have more than one eyewitness to corroborate an event. They weren't idiots. They knew people could lie. Uh, What's more than that? We get angelic attestation, verse 4. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Uh, We might be thinking, well, now I know it's not true. (laughs) Angels don't exist. But think about it. If Jesus is who he claims to be, then angelic beings are the least of our problems. Now, rather than being a reason to doubt, they add further proof to what's going on. Now, wouldn't you expect angels to turn up, if they're going to turn up anywhere at all, when the Son of God rises from the dead? Now, but again, if you're, if you're still not convinced, you're, you're not on your own. Just look at verse 9. Now, returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And how do they respond? Verse 11 But these words seemed to them an idle tale, 
and they did not believe them. The apostles, they think it is just nonsense. If you have thought Jesus rising from the dead is nonsense, Luke has written this account for you. These first disciples move from thinking the resurrection is nonsense to being so convinced Jesus is alive, they're willing to die for that truth. And we see verse 12, Peter wants to find out for himself. Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. If we had more time, we could read on and find out how Jesus appears to these disciples, these unconvinced skeptics. Uh, We could read on and find out how he appears to more than 500 people at one time. Uh, Just think about it. An eyewitness account is still the most reliable form of evidence. With every new technology comes a new way to manipulate it, to deceive. Uh, Photos come along and then you can tamper with photos, make uh, fakes, videos. Uh, Even with an AI now. If we see a, a news story on the internet... How do we know if it's fake news or not? Well, the way to know it's true is to hear from someone who is actually there as someone who we can trust. But if what people saw is so important, we might be wondering why there's this focus on what Jesus said. Just look at verse 6 with me again. The angels say, He is not here but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. Is it not enough that Jesus has defeated death? I mean, surely the fact that Jesus rose again from the dead is spectacular and mind-blowing enough. Why such an emphasis on Jesus predicting it beforehand? Well, it shows us Jesus is in control, doesn't it? If He knows not only how he's going to die, but also that he's going to rise again. It's pretty next-level stuff. Uh, Repeatedly, Jesus had told his disciples he would die and would rise again. Uh, The fact they're not expecting it isn't for lack of information. It's simply so far out of their frame of reference, they can't compute it might be true. Uh, But crucially, Luke's also showing us where to put our trust He knows we can't all be there. It's a one-time deal. Jesus isn't going to rise again. No, we need to trust his word. In the Old Testament, Moses is one of the greatest prophets. And he looked forward to an even greater prophet, one who would speak God's words. Everything he said would be right and true. And the way that you would know that this prophet to come was the real deal is what he says would come to pass. Uh, Jesus has said all along, he's going to rise from the dead. And now he has, well, it means we can trust every single word he says. He is the real deal. He really is God on earth. If we want to know what God is like, look to Jesus and especially look to the cross. Here's the the payoff. Here's the so what. Jesus definitely died as our substitute. He he really rose as he said he would. So have certainty. Have certainty. Jesus really is who he claims he is. 
He is the Son of God with all authority. He is the suffering servant who takes our place and gives eternal life. He is the one, the only one, who conquers death and gives hope. He is the one who brings in the new creation. That little time reference in verse 1, the first day of the week. Again, it's historical detail. But it's also Luke's way of showing us this is something new. This is the start of, of something brand new. In the Bible, God finishes his work. He accomplishes his work on the sixth day of Friday. He rests on the seventh of Saturday. And the new week begins on a Sunday. And here it is the beginning of a whole new age. If we want to receive forgiveness... The life, the hope, the joy that only Jesus offers. Then we need to take him at his word. We need to trust the words of Jesus who gives life. In that opening of the book, uh, Luke, uh, in the opening that I read, he talks about eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. For us to believe today, we need to trust the written word about Jesus. So as we close, for those who remain unconvinced, undecided or uncertain, will you examine the evidence? Luke wrote a sequel to this gospel. It's the book called Acts in our Bibles. And it tells how Jesus' powerful word about his resurrection brings life to people across the world. And the fact I'm standing here this morning telling you about Jesus being alive is testimony to the fact it's true. There are people here today from massively diverse backgrounds, different languages, different continents, different countries, but we've all come to realize Jesus is who he claims to be. He definitely died. He really rose, and that changes everything. We've got loads of these Luke's Gospels available at the back for you to take. Please do take one and have a read over it. Will you take it and think over it as a, as a kind of a thinking adult? Uh, Do come back, do ask uh, questions. We love to think and talk over what the Bible says here at St. John's. It might be you know enough and you know you need to put your trust in Jesus today. Uh, Don't be like a a bad golfer forever waggling on the tee. At some point you've got to hit the ball. Pray today and submit to Jesus as Lord. Admit your sin and recognize Jesus as your rightful ruler. Hand the reins of your life over to him, the one who knows us and loves us more than we can possibly imagine. It is a decision you will never regret. Might be there are some here today feeling burdened with sin. If that's you, have confidence. Have confidence that if we turn to Jesus, his death is sufficient to cover any and every sin. He has taken our place. If we trust in him, submit to him, we have free open access to God forever. For those facing illness, maybe even death, and what Jesus promises, what the resurrection guarantees is for all who trust in him, we will be physically raised like Jesus. Death is an enemy, but in Christ it's not one we need to fear. And if you're not yet a Christian, don't delay It might be we're in the prime of life, but don't be proud. Don't think our life could be over in a split second. Don't assume you'll always have all of your faculties. Think it through now while you can. 
And finally, for those who are certain, well, keep trusting Jesus. Keep trusting his words. Keep relying on his death alone to make us right with God. And keep living in such a way that you'll keep believing these truths in five years' time, in ten years' time, and until we see Jesus face to face and our faith becomes sight. Let's pray together. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Father God, we do thank and praise you for these wonderful truths. Thank you that Jesus died in our place, on our behalf, that any who trust in him might have forgiveness and receive eternal life. And thank you that he rose again. He has defeated death. Thank you that the way back to you is open. I thank you that for all in Jesus, we do not need to fear death, but can view it with confidence because of Jesus. Please give us this confidence as we cling to Jesus' words. And we ask it in his name and for your glory. Amen.